Hello and welcome to this Cloud of Data podcast with your host, Paul Miller. Today I talk with Vic Singh, CEO and co-founder of Infer. Infer takes techniques developed on the consumer web at sites such as Google and Yahoo and attempts to apply them to the sales pipelining process. By extracting data from internal databases, the public web and commercial data sources, Infer is able to offer better predictions as to the leads that are most likely to convert into sales. I hope you find this conversation useful and will return for other podcasts from the cloud of data. Thank you. Vic, hi, and thanks very much for taking the time for this podcast today. Before we get into some of the detail around Infer and um, lead scoring and all the other things we're going to explore, can you tell listeners a bit about yourself and your own background, please? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Um, so uh, some quick kind of background in terms of, of who we are and what we're, what we're up to with, with Infer. So my co-founders and I, my two co-founders and I, we originally hailed from the consumer space. You know, we were working on you know, machine learning, uh, high-scaling databases, big data kind of products um, at companies like Google and Microsoft and Yahoo. And we saw that these technologies could really move the needle in terms of you know, improving search quality, improving click-through rates on uh, content links on the homepage, and so forth. Uh, but we wanted to take these great technologies and apply them to a greenfield opportunity where they weren't really being applied specifically inside companies to help them make better decisions. We decided we wanted to develop applications um, as opposed to maybe more infrastructure, uh, things like you know trying to build out Hadoop kind of uh, technologies or more BI kind of platforms. We wanted to build applications targeting specific problems uh, and data sources. And, uh, and that way we can build solutions where anyone can use them versus maybe infrastructure that's designed more for you know, engineers and statisticians. And you know, applications require focus, and so we decided to kind of hone in on customer data, and that's specifically data that's sitting in you know sales and marketing systems like CRM systems and and you know systems like Marketo and Eloqua, um, and uh, we've been building models from that data to help companies predict which customers to to go after, and we found that that works really really well. Um, we've spent the last few years developing these models and and helping sales and marketing kind of prioritize our energies on the right deals and increase their customer conversions. And we learned that to do this effectively, um, you need to machine learn uh, models from the, the, the historical data that's sitting in their CRM and marketing automation systems, as well as crawl the web to get more external data about customers. Uh, we started out with dozens when we started, uh, but we have now amassed several thousands of interesting external signals like, you know, are they hiring in a certain department? What's their website traffic like? Do they have a shopping cart on their website? And so forth. Because these are signals um, really influence whether a company might buy something. And, uh, and we found that this works extremely well. We have customers like Tableau and Zendesk and New Relic and AdRoll and Nitro and Box using our solution and achieving, you know, significant lift with our product. And, uh, and so um, mid-last year in 2013, we raised $10 million and you know, these last two quarters, we've announced that we've been able to double our uh, our revenue bookings and our customer base. So it's it's you know, there's a lot of action um, and a lot more companies wanting to get their hands on on our predictive solution to help them kind of predict which customers to go after. Good. Um, so the, the the area you're in, the the product offering you have, is sort of 
targeted really at the whole area of lead scoring, um, working out whether a new prospect is worth investing effort in, working out whether an existing customer might be ripe for an upsell of some sort. And this is clearly something that you know, sales teams the world over have been doing since there were first sales teams. So mm-hmm. what about Infer is different to what people have been doing for, for millennia? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a lot of changes that have happened in the world, especially with the, uh, with the internet. Um, sales and marketing has become uh, more complex. Um, there's many channels that you know consumers or buyers um, can can come through, and each of these kind of channels has a different potential method in terms of how you want to reach out to them, or, or different messaging that you need to to, to deliver, or a different type of sales experience or marketing experience you need to provide in order to best kind of uh, extrapolate the the value there and be able to close deals there, and so. There's that, and in addition, the volumes, I think, have increased as well. Uh, with more people online, uh, more data about who these individuals are and who these customers are and companies are, there's uh, opportunities to kind of build better lists or to be able to, you know, for example, I could put a million dollars into advertising uh, through AdWords and I could start getting a bunch of inbound leads into my website. So there's all these kind of new levers that exist that allow you to kind of increase the volume and scale in which you're operating with uh, compared to before. And so this presents several challenges. Uh, One is how do you kind of build a automated process for being able to determine, um, you know, which, which folks you need to spend your time on? Uh, because the audience um, has has increased and your ability to access that audience, the methods have improved so much. And uh, the second thing is um, companies have been very good about standardizing uh, their data uh, in the sense that a lot of companies are using solutions like Salesforce, Marketo, Eloqua. They're using these cloud services, which typically bookkeep data roughly the similar way. And because they're in the cloud, it... Uh, it means that services like us can access it. You know, we don't have to go behind firewalls. The data isn't sitting in some, you know, scary hidden database with a very special schema. So that means that the data that you've been collecting, there's an opportunity to be able to leverage that. Um, and the other thing too is, I think the fact that companies like Google and Yahoo and Microsoft have shown so much. Uh, impact around predictive in general like they've you know if you ask someone 10 years ago hey if you told them 10 years ago hey there's just gonna be this box and on this box you'll be able to type in anything you want and get exactly what you want they think you're crazy uh, but now most people think that you know that box exists which is which is google's uh, web search so the advancements that have been made on the computer science side and in the area of artificial intelligence have been have been significant so i think those kind of those um particular kind of um, changes in, in our environment have led to uh, this breakthrough that we've kind of come across, which is uh, the data that you're sitting on, we can extrapolate incredible value from that by using these advanced techniques that have come up um, in the area of machine learning, data science, and so forth. And because of the complexity of the different channels and the fact that the audiences can increase and there's more scale there, there's a more uh, uh, dire need to apply something that's more automated to processing that flow versus kind of, you know, leaving it to the hands of, of an army of salespeople to kind of go through. Um, you can help, you can have the salespeople instead of spending more time on maybe qualification and trying to figure out is this a good 
is just like a lead, they can spend more, more of their energy focusing on the right types of deals and closing them. So uh, it, it creates a lot more, more efficiency to kind of using your sales and marketing people in better ways, I think, um, uh, to grow the top line. Okay. And in terms of the data that you are working your, your magic or, or your machine learning, if we're being computer science about it, um, in terms of the, the data that you are working with, clearly there's the data inside your customer, as you mentioned, that's sitting in Marketo or Salesforce or, or whatever it may be. There's also the data you're pulling from your, your crawl of the public web and data you're buying in from third parties who, who sell the kind of data that's of interest to you. What's sort of the balance between those and what what are their relative strengths and their relative values within sort of the overall system? Yeah, great question. So we do pull in data from a variety of different sources because we're trying to build the most complete picture of who your potential customer is. And the more data and signals you have, uh, the better typically uh, your systems and you know these predictive models can 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 fare can perform. So we're very vicious about data. That's kind of our saying. Get it? You know, even if it's the same data that we have, uh, let's say we're buying industry data from one source and other sources offering industry data too, we'll get both of them because we want to have redundancy. Because knowing that one source says that this you know IBM is in the software industry and another one saying that they're in the software industry gives us more confidence that they are in the software industry um, because we're using a computer program to determine those associations versus a human in order to scale. So we try to get data from a variety of different methods and the value of the data really depends in terms of who the customer is. So uh, the value to the machine learning that kind of you know the, the, that kind of buzzword if you will is in the fact that we're building models that can predict the likelihood of a customer of a potential customer buying your products that's personalized and fitted uh, uh, according to the data that you have in your in your sales and marketing system so it's looking at your specific outcomes your historical data to fit this model and depending on your your you know your product and your market some of these signals that we're collecting from these different external sources might be more valuable for you versus maybe another customer of ours so let's say for, for Zendesk, uh, some of the signals that we have around the jobs data, where you know that someone's hiring customer support people, that's a really interesting signal for Zendesk because they sell a customer support platform. So knowing that a company is investing and in hiring more people and more heads in that department represents intent and budget to potentially invest more into Zendesk. So the signals are very much personal to each business. So some signals might matter more for others. Like for healthcare companies, we found some of these census data signals that we're collecting is, is very important. Uh, for other companies, some of our website traffic data signals are very important because they do a lot of consumer or they do a lot of web. Uh, they get a lot of leads from the web. We have some companies who are selling more uh, infrastructure stuff. They're selling infrastructure as a service. So a lot of these signals around does that potential customer to use Amazon Web Services is a useful kind of signal. So we, we throw a lot of signals into the kitchen sink, but then we let the machine learning kind of pick and choose the best signals depending on who the customer is and what their historical data looks like. So the value really varies in, in terms of who the customer is, but we find that in general, more the better because these signals you know, are, are you know, useful in a variety of different kinds of companies and verticals. So we're very vicious about getting as much data as we can. How do you strip out the false positives? You know, um, people who change their, their website so that they have a red bar on the top are more likely to buy. 
clearly that's nonsense. Um, but this right. machine learning might throw up that as, as a, a pairing. That's a good point. So you can have signals that show up that are are, uh, are kind of just happen by correlation and they're not necessarily indicative of a customer that's likely to buy. They might not be actionable um, and it could just be purely coincidental. You can also have signals in your model that uh, are redundant, right? So you might have one signal saying if a customer is in this industry and this and in this geography, uh, like they're in, let's say a customer is in if if a customer is in San Jose and they're in the software industry, and you have another signal saying if a customer is, you know, they have Amazon Web Services. But let's say all your customers are in you know uh, that are in from San Jose and have are in the software industry all use Amazon Web Services then you're kind of double dipping uh, in terms of the value for that particular customer. So, so there's a lot of challenges there. And so we've had to build a lot of different you know, systems in place to kind of help refine the model so that we pick and choose the right signals. And, and we've done, I think, a fairly good job in doing that. So determining kind of if something is just purely coincidental or if it's redundant with another signal, you know, dismissing that or removing that effect or diminishing that effect uh, so that it doesn't throw off the model. And the other thing, too, is that we expose the model. It's not a black box. So this was a big kind of question mark in the beginning is how do we build a model in a way where it inspires confidence with, with, with our customer, you know, for selling to VP sales and VP of marketing. They, maybe some might trust us and say, okay, you just score everything up. I don't necessarily need to know how it works and we'll run with that and that's going to be our business. But there's also other VPs of sales and marketing where they're going to say, hey, I want to know what is going on behind the scenes. Tell me what this, this score is based on because you know their numbers are based on that, their performance is based on that. And so uh, we decided from day one to build models that were open so that the customer could understand what the model is composed of. And that means listing out the signals that are in the model as well as what the weights are. So that way um, you have a check there too because then they can look at it and see, okay, well actually you shouldn't be using that signal because that signal is something that we were used to use that field but we stopped using it a week ago. Or you know, there might be some uh, weirdness like you know, that, that red bar one that you mentioned and that would typically get dismissed in that process where we, we reveal it to the customer. Uh, we also all have ways to kind of automatically check if the model has weird signals like that, as well as we have a person who just quickly checks the signals as well to make sure that it's, it's, it looks right. So there's a couple checks in place to kind of correct for that. We have automated approaches as well as a human approach, both with the customer and, and, and internally to kind of make sure that the, the signals that are in the model uh, make sense and are going to drive value. And how do you work through that process of signal selection with the customer? I mean, I guess, you know, potentially they might not understand some of the signals you're showing them if there are hundreds yeah. or thousands of them. The other danger perhaps is, you know, I'm a sales professional. I've always been a sales professional. These are the things that matter. And I'm not listening to you and your, your model, which suggests that these other things are, are equally important. Right. Good question. Uh very good question because we've we've kind of wrestled with that problem for some time and we did a couple things. One is we came up with a really nice visualization and interface uh, to display kind of what the model's composed of, and we can do it at at varying levels of granularity. So there's kind of one which is okay. Here's you have a hundred signals that are associated to spam. You have like twenty signals in the model that are associated to web traffic. You have so it's kind of more of a clustering, if you will, of the signals put into categories, and we kind of describe meaning and weight based on the categories. 
And for some customers, that's totally fine. But if they want to go deeper, then we can go deeper with them. Uh, but we don't necessarily need to go all the way down to the level of the raw signals because some of these signals just honestly just won't make sense. Uh, they make sense to us, but it can, it can require some explanation to describe why we're doing that. Like, why are you looking at, why do you have this model that's trying to estimate how much a company is spending on their domain name? So, you know, that's not a very intuitive signal, but in fact, it's quite useful because knowing, for example, if you're, if you have IBM.com as your domain name, you probably spent a lot of money because it's a three character domain name versus a company that bought, you know, a 20 character domain name. So there's, there's, there's varying levels of granularity that we can walk them through. And we have ways to kind of show them the confidence that we have in the model. And that's based on historical backtesting. So it's not just us kind of showing a model and saying, here's the signals that we found, but we will also tell them how well that model can predict the winners. So we have some really nice visualizations that show, here's a set of leads that, we, that our model hasn't seen before, and we score them and we rank them, and this is how well it's able to predict the winners. And that is where we typically can show the value. And so even if a customer might have their own take on certain signals or ideas in terms of where the model, how the model should be performing, uh, it's hard to contest the fact that if the model is performing really well and it's doing better than the current process, not to use that model to start. And then taking some of those thoughts that they had and using that as feedback. We love the feedback. If someone has new ideas for signals, a lot of the new signals that we've created, those external signals, have been heavily derived from our, our, our discussions with customers. So we are very open to that. And we want to make sure they feel good about the model. But we find that those two approaches, both having kind of that varying levels of granularity in terms of describing the model, as well as showing them the performance, showing them the dollars that they can close if they use our product, you know, those numbers kind of speak for themselves and helps us kind of get in and inspire confidence to start, you know, to have them start using our scores. And how does the system as a whole learn and improve? Um, you know, to what extent is it looking at my outcomes from from using the model um, and to what extent is it looking at the outcomes of my competitors also using the model and and how does that feed into to improve it the next time around yeah great question so we our model will definitely learn from new examples so as you close more deals we will suck those in and 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 retrain the model so that it learns and improves and we have a way of doing this such that because you have to be careful how often you retrain the model as well. You don't necessarily want to be retraining the model every time you close a deal. Because, for example, you know, because there's changes that happen in the sales and marketing process. So let's say, you know, you're doing a migration. Uh, you're, you're, you're dumping some old database of leads and you're dumping them into your sales system, but you haven't properly cleaned them or you haven't properly, properly associated outcomes to them yet. So if we try to, if our model was to retrain based on that, uh, without knowing that you were still in the process of migrating data or cleaning up data, then the model can be skewed and start predicting poorly. So what we find is you want to build a model and do that over and, and do a, a fairly good evaluation like, like what I was describing. And then you know typically a good model shouldn't be getting retrained every day because if the model is changing so often every day, it means you probably have a bad model, right? So so we we, we build a model that, that can be fairly consistent for some time, so it doesn't require that much changes. But when we start to notice that there's new data coming in and the model could improve if it used those examples based on those evaluations I was describing, then we can, we can hint at the model to do a retrain. 
And so, and then we'll also let the customer know that we did do that so they can see the new model in case there's updates. So that's kind of how we've been doing the, the model updates and that's been working really well for our customers. It took us some time to figure that out so that we weren't swaying the model left and right. Uh, you have to kind of do it in a very careful, balanced approach um, um, so that you're, you're actually, you're making sure that you're always delivering value or more value than what you had initially. In terms of the competitor side of things, we don't leverage, like for example, if we have you know company A and company B using us and company A and company B compete against each other, we don't necessarily, we don't use company A data to help improve company B's model or company B's models to improve company A's model. We keep the data separate and siloed. Uh, we security and privacy is very important, and so we don't want you know we don't want to be leaking that data in, in, in that fashion. But one thing that we do do uh, uh, is that data that we collect online, all that external data, like knowing that IBM has ten thousand employees, or I'm mean, not ten thousand employees, they have you know five hundred thousand employees. That is a generally useful piece of knowledge across all, all of our customers. And it's not privacy revealing. It's, that's a piece of information you can find online. It's about the company. So that, that data is fair game for us to be able to leverage across our customers. But specific data records that we're getting from a customer or specific things that they want, you know, companies that they won with or lost with, we don't, we don't apply that to other models. Even though the, it could probably improve the performance quite a bit, uh, it's, it's, we feel it's a risky thing to, to bring up uh, with customers uh, because of the security and privacy issues around that. And so we've just stayed away from that. And, and if we were to ever even think about that, we would it would definitely be an opt-in uh, versus an opt-out. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting area to think about, it's just something we've kind of stayed away from just to protect the security and privacy of our, of our customers. Probably wise at the moment, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so what does success look like? If I'm a customer using the system and I've done the model refining and all the other processes we've been talking about, how do I know that it's working? Right. Good question. So there's a couple of ways we do this. And this is some of the product work that we've invested in to build experiences that can let the customer know. So, you know, you like the model that we show you, you turn it on. And we start pushing predictions into your sales and marketing process. So you can start to see new customers come in, new potential customers come in. They get stamped by Infer. And Infer says, work on this one, don't work on this one, essentially. You know, this is a good lead, this is not a good lead. And you can build programs and flows around that. And depending on what use case you're doing around the scores, you, you, there's a different success criteria. So, for example, let's say you know, you're doing a filter. So you have just, let's say, too much noise coming into the top of the funnel and you want to be able to filter them down so you can send the very best uh, potential customers to your salespeople. So you say, okay, I want to only pass things that are above an infer score of 50, let's say, because I know that if an infer score is greater than 50, we tell, what the customer, we tell the customer what that means. Maybe it means that they convert at you know 50% rate. So they pass that to their salespeople and what we want to see is, are they actually converting at that rate that we had predicted? You know, are, did the quality, did the conversion rate increase based on that filter, uh, based on what we projected? And so we would look at a quarter's worth of data or maybe even uh, shorter or longer, depending on what the sales cycle is for that company. And we would tell them, hey, this is working. This is giving you that conversion rate. And that would be success criteria for a, a filtering case. There are other cases, too, um, other ways you can use the, the score. So, for example... Another really popular one is, you know, companies have a huge pile of leads sitting in nurture. And we have a saying internally, which is, you know, nurture basically means neglected, right? So there's these leads that come in and 
your salespeople aren't ready to, you know, your salesperson works the lead and maybe that lead isn't ready to buy today. So they, they put it on the back burner, they put it in nurture. And there's such a recency bias in the sales and marketing process to work on fresh, fresh potential customers that a lot of those leads that get put into the back burner, they kind of get left there to dry, you know, and they, they kind of, you know, they don't get the love to kind of, you know, a salesperson keep coming back to them to see if they're ready to buy yet. So they kind of, that's why we kind of say they get neglected. So nice thing about our model is that it doesn't matter if you, if you score 10 leads or a million leads, it's an automated solution. You don't have to have people manually going through nurture every time to find good leads. You could just point our model towards your nurture pile, score those and rank those and see if there's any high scoring ones there that, you know, of leads that might be ready to buy now. And we were just talking to a customer, and they literally closed one of their biggest deals of the year based on a lead that we lit up from their nurture pile that they weren't going to go after uh, because of because of our solution. I and mean, we went over to their you know to their office, and they literally were giving us hugs because of that deal. So there's a lot of ways to generate value, and depending on what use case you're signing up with us, there's about a dozen or so. You can there are success criteria and metrics that we've come up with to tell you whether you're doing well or not. So it's it's very measurable, which is a nice thing about you know the the sales and marketing space. Yes, yeah, I guess that that's true. So in terms of the technology that you're using, then you know what's the balance between general open source projects that listeners may well have heard of, commer- commercial products that they might be using, and your own internal secret sauce. Right. Uh, so. That's a good question. I mean, I would say that for most companies, most companies are using, you know, CRM system and marketing automation system that's in the cloud. And they're pretty much using these systems for bookkeeping. We haven't really seen cases where, you know, customers are using maybe open source products to kind of glean more value from that data. I mean, we there are some companies we talk to that are using, for example, Sugar CRM to store their data. But in terms of the actual uh, machine learning or predictive modeling or scoring, uh, really rare to see a case where someone's doing that. Maybe we've seen one case where you know, a company was using R to try to come up with their own model, but those are so rare because that typically means you have a data science team in-house and you have that expertise to build some of that stuff. So, uh, And then on top of that, getting access to all the external data is going to be a challenge. So you might be able to build a model, but getting access to the thousands of signals that we've collected, that takes a lot of a lot of money, it takes a lot of time, you have to spend a lot of time cleaning that data and crawling that data, and it doesn't make sense for every company to be doing that stuff in-house. So, you know, if a company is interested in doing that stuff more in-house, like, for example, building their own model or using open source tools to do that, then depending on what they're trying to get out of it, we might even just encourage it. We might just say, hey, you should do that. You have the expertise. You, the, the things that you want to do with your model are a little bit more unique and, and different than what we typically do. But... We still have a lot of really valuable signals and best practices that could be useful uh, for your model. So we can plug in to your model uh, to help make your model better. So there's a lot of ways you can synergize with that environment, but it's still pretty rare, especially in the sales and marketing area, where we see a lot of folks trying to roll their own uh, or use open source tools to kind of go deeper on that on that end. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And. A lot of what we've talked about has been in terms of, you know, bringing a tool in to help an existing sales team work in a market they already know and understand and want to get better at. To what extent could Infer be used to 
explore a new market opportunity? Great question. We get asked this all the time. So, you know, we've had companies ask us, hey, can you take what you're doing for helping us predict which customers to go after and apply it to recruiting or apply it to, you know, help us find what candidates to go after? You know, a lot of that external data can be very helpful in determining who that person is. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels. You know, we've had similar requests on the product side. Can we help companies build better products? You know, looking at the activities uh, data uh, in terms of how the users are using the product to help build uh, come up with features or better in-app messaging. So there's been a lot of pool from our customers to think about new adjacent markets or new adjacent opportunities that are not in the sales and marketing space. I think right now the way you know you have to be focused when you're when you're um, an emerging company and there's so much rich problems and important problems in the customer space. I mean, if you look at I mean these huge companies like Salesforce and Marketo. You know, they've done a lot by focusing on that market. And we think there's a there's a, a huge growing trend in that space. I mean, these markets are growing, you know, you know, 100% year over year. You know, Salesforce is increasing their pricing every year. I mean, it just shows you how much how much value there is. And I think, you know, staying focused in that market is going to pay big dividends for us, uh, given all the great successes that we've seen so far. Even though the technology could overlap greatly with what the solution might look like for, let's say, recruiting, uh, in terms of your go-to-market and your messaging and how you sell it, it changes dramatically. And so, you know, there's definitely some parallels there. And I think, you know, we'll, you know, keep an eye out for it. And if there's, you know, ways where we can be helpful, whether it's from a thought leadership perspective or in terms of best practices that we see in the sales marketing space that might cast, you know, uh, you know, may apply to other markets, we certainly will be very vocal about it. But I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of, there's a lot of meat here uh, just in the customer area. And so we're, we're really going all in there to deliver the very, very best experience for, for, um, for companies to be able to make their customers happier and to get more customers using their products. And what about those customers of yours using the tool to, to enter new markets of their own? You know, say a, a US-based company that's wondering whether to go to Europe or to Asia. Yeah, great question. And so we've had some companies using our solution in that fashion. So the way that would work is, you know, let's say you have a large list of companies uh, like we do, um, or a company might have their own list of leads. So let's say you want to, you know, a company has been building their business in the U.S. and they then they want to grow into APAC or they want to grow into Europe, and they get a list of, you know, the leads that they can go after in that space. So maybe they buy it from a, a data provider, or maybe, you know, they ask us to run it against our database of well-known companies, and we can take their model that we built that can predict the potential of any customer, and we can run that over that those potential customers that are in that market, you know, using their data list or using our own database, and then score them and rank them and then tell them how many essentially potential customers they can win with in those markets. So that's one way where you can kind of do that type of analysis, but do it in a very smart way to determine what new markets you should enter into. And so the easiest way for companies to do this is, you know, let's say you're entering Europe or you want to enter Europe, you get a, you know, in you, here's the potential companies or customers you, you can go after. Um, you can use the model, you know, you can just dump them, let's say, into your marketing system or your sales system. Our model will score them and then they can build a report from that saying, wow, uh, this geography um, is, is where there's a lot of action. There's a lot of good uh, scoring folks there, according to infer, high scoring folks here. So let's go and, and double down there. Right. Okay, good. And, I mean, 
you were just talking a moment ago about you know staying focused on the kind of business area you're in at the moment um, and you know extracting the, the value that you're already seeing there. I wonder if a move into the consumer space is is a likely jump or too big a jump. You know, clearly you're you're currently marketed at customers who sell to other you're marketed you're marketed at companies who currently sell to other companies because you're pulling in information like revenue and size and those sorts of things. Could you also apply it to a consumer company? That's a great question. So a lot of the signals that we collect, yes, they are about the company, but we also try to collect signals about individuals as well. So for example, if someone has a Facebook profile that's public or a Twitter profile, or, you know, there's some presence about who that person is online, you know, uh, or there's contact information out of one of our data providers, or you know, there's an IP address provided about that user, who does that map to? So there's some signals you can also collect that are pretty interesting about individuals in addition to companies. Because when leads come in, it's not just a company, right? There's a contact that comes through with it. And so you need to know kind of who the contact is. You know, are they a decision maker? You know, what is their job title? In addition to if the companies, you know, what's the company's company's health, what's their market, what's their revenue, and everything else. So we we do straddle both. And we, you know, funny thing is we've done tests where you know, we've looked at B2C companies, you know, companies who sell to consumers, and we've actually found that our solution can be very helpful there. So, you know, we can get meaningful lift there as well. And we decided to kind of focus primarily more on the B2B side, although we're not ruling out the B2C side because of the fact that we saw such great potential there. But the B2B side is pretty attractive. It's for reasons that are not necessarily related to model performance. It's more just in terms of how data gets bookkeeped. So if you look at B2B companies, you know, they're typically using, you know, standard CRM and marketing automation systems like the one I described. But if you go to B2C, you have a lot of companies using a variety of different systems to store that data, right? Every company thinks their consumer or their user is different. They may be hand roll, and they might be rolling their own MySQL database. They have their own schemas behind a firewall. You know, the way that data gets structured and stored could, be, could vary dramatically. And, and a lot of the data about your consumers can sit in, across a lot of different systems. Analytics systems, you know, saying this person was on this website at this time and this is what their session was like, you know, to um, the moment they buy your product, they might not even be storing that purchase in Salesforce or something in that kind of system that we're used to kind of connecting to. They might be storing it in, you know, their own database. And so the challenge on the B2C side is the fact that the solutions that companies are using there is, is a little bit more fragmented and there's a lot more rolling your own stuff going on. And so that makes it a little bit more challenging to get access to the data. But what we've done also is we can still access data if even if it's not in a CRM system or a, a marketing automation system that we're aware of. We've worked with companies that have a lot of that data sitting in their own private data warehouse. As long as they have the expertise to be able to pull that data out and put it in a format that we can understand and we have formats that, that we can accept, it is fair game for us to be able to leverage that data in our models. So, uh, but just from a focus perspective in terms of simplicity, uh, we decided to kind of focus more on B2B, but it wasn't necessarily because of it, the models can apply. It's just more of, there's there's more, there's a little bit more solid, uh, there's more consistency and there's more, there's more users of, of certain systems, especially cloud systems. And so there's more standardization uh, in terms of how the data is getting stored. Yeah, so the B2B space is easier to, to grow in. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking about the B2C 
space anyway. <laughs> sure. And, and I'm sort of struggling to see what the signals would look like unless they're getting as explicit as, you know, a, a tweet saying, I'm looking for a coffee machine and then spending right. half an hour on the Keurig website, you know. Yep. Are there more implicit signals that you can pick up on? Yes, definitely. So there's there are signals where, you know, when a user comes in and they fill out a web form, right, and they come in, I'm interested in your product, they fill out a web form, they click submit, they get an account, you know, they start using your product. There's a lot of data that you're 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 creating in that process. You know, how did you fill out that web form? You know, and we have we have algorithms to be able to determine how serious you were depending on how you filled that out. Right? Are you a serious buyer or did you just type in random stuff in there to get a free trial, which a lot of people do? So there are signals you can collect from the entry itself and from the user activity, um, you know, how engaged are they in the product and everything else. And we have systems to be able to, to, to use those uh, properly in our models. And the explicit stuff kind of helps as well. You know, if someone comes in and, you know, if they, there are some signals you can collect online, you know, just even knowing, maybe not knowing that there's a tweet, like a specific tweet saying, I want coffee, but just knowing the fact that someone's on Twitter is actually pretty powerful, you know, uh, knowing that they have a user account with Twitter versus someone who doesn't. Uh, so there's certain levels of signals at certain levels of granularity that can still offer information that can be useful. You know, if you're selling a social media product and knowing someone's on Twitter, that can be gigantically useful, but maybe for another product it's not. So... Um, you know, how you show up in web search and your presence there is huge. Um, if you sign in with the Gmail address or if you don't use a Gmail address or if you, if you sign in with your corporate email address, then there's information we can collect about the company. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that can still be tied in from the explicit side. But you're right. I mean, there's certainly, I think the activity data and the activity signals and the implicit signals that you mentioned are going to be very, very important or if not more important in those models. Mm, okay, good. So in terms of where you as a company go next what what's down the line yeah great question so this year is going to be a big year for us um you know every company says that but uh, uh it's it's very true for us i mean you know if we look at the last year or two i really think it's been more of evangelizing the market and this and right now just based on what we're seeing from potential customers and, and, and our current customers you know companies are buying into this and so 2014 is really going to be the big year for predictive uh if you're not using predictive uh, you know, there's something wrong with your business, right? Because, you know, why would you let a competitor, you know, get 100%, 200% improvement in their conversion rate using our solution and you're not? And that's a huge uh, competitive advantage. So you're going to see that cascading and you're going to see more and more companies jumping on the bandwagon for this because it doesn't make sense to not take advantage of your data. And the other thing you're going to see uh, from us specifically is we're going to talk, you know, I was mentioning all these use cases uh, in terms of how you can use the scores to drive value. And each of these things are really their own application. So you're going to start to see us unveil uh, a suite of applications that have been built around our modeling. And so you're going to hear more about that from us as opposed to maybe lead scoring. Because that doesn't really do justice, I think, to all the different manners in which you can use predictions our predictions to drive conversions up. So we're going to be focusing more on the end game as opposed to maybe the engine. You know, when someone talks about a car, you know, they don't necessarily just talk about, oh, it has a V8 in it. They're talking about, hey, I'm getting a car because I can go to this place. I can do things with it. So we're going to talk more about those applications. 
And so you're going to hear more and more about it. You know, we recently announced one application which was called Smart Signals. Um, and there's going to be more and more applications you're going to hear from us, and that's going to become the suite of, of offerings that Infer is going to be built around. And so customers will be able to pick and choose from those offerings? Yeah, because for some companies, certain use cases matter more for them than others. And maybe in the beginning, they, you know, one use case is the right one to start with, and over time, they want to get into more of them. So uh, it becomes a way to upsell into our customers as well. So they can gradually grow with us as, you know, because I think that's important because, you know, a year ago, most companies were not doing anything predictive. So you want to kind of do it, I think, in a gradual way because they're also learning all the different ways you can drive value. So it kind of works out nicely both for the customers as well as for us. And in terms of this sort of growing interest in um, predictive modeling, predictive analytics, how is the sort of the market as a whole shaping out? You know, clearly it's... It has been the preserve of sort of Silicon Valley giants um, and computer science labs. How, other than yourselves, what's that sort of gradual broadening of, of interest and that gradual rise of sort of real products? What's that looking like? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think we're starting to see, I mean, just even the premises of how we built our company. You know, we decided that we didn't want to build a company that was going to be a consulting shop. Uh, where we're doing analytics for every company and we're doing all this work to ETL data out of their systems and it's, it's going to take 12 months to two years to build the project out and then we end up with a result that the customer's not happy with and they ended up burning a lot of money in the process. And you know we didn't want to do it that way. We wanted to build a solution that could scale and, we, and so we decided to build applications. So I think what we're seeing is a movement not just in the customer intelligence space but in other, mar- in other verticals as well where, uh, or other functions, I mean, of the company, where you see startups and emerging companies focusing on building applications solving specific problems as opposed to building more generalized, below-the-ocean infrastructure. So you're going to see more and more of that. And I think the nice thing is, uh, you know, because a lot of companies, I think, have been burned by the premise of analytics and the promise of predictive and, and everything else. Um, and I think... What we found was if you focus and you focus on a specific area and you do it right and you build as an application that anyone can get up and running, they can get it up and running very quickly. And you show them value, you show them real customers getting value. Like we have Tableau getting insane value from our product. Then it it, it, it rekindles that spirit to, to try it because the risk of trying it so, is so minimal. So, you know, I think, you know, for us personally, our goal, uh, and this doesn't exist today, I would argue, there doesn't exist uh, an application in any function of the enterprise, sales, marketing, recruiting, IT, you pick it, where uh, there's an application that's doing predictive and is driving value and is repeatable, you know, and has been scaled to thousands of customers. You know, and I think what, what we're doing, we have the shot of doing that and building the first repeatable solution that is deeply at its core predictive but it's repeatable and we can get it to many, many customers. Because we want to build a solution that can get to many customers as opposed to a few where you go super deep. Because to us, that's not a product. That's not a successful product. A successful product is one where you can deploy it with many customers and many companies can get value. And we get more value as we work with more companies. We get better. We come up with new signals. We have more features. So everyone benefits in that process of, of our ability to scale. So that's kind of where I see the market. It's still very early though, right? The fact that, you know, there isn't a repeatable solution that exists yet. 
uh, makes it a, a really fun challenge for us and I think we have a really good shot of pulling off. Okay, sounds good. Um, thank you very much then, Vic. I look forward to seeing what happens um, in, in the coming year. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Paul. Really enjoyed it.